Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Hello, authors. I hope you're all keeping well. We're midway through February now, and I'm actually not quite surprised by how fast time is moving this year. For me, it always speeds up every year. That's what it feels like anyway. And I think this is probably due to life being so busy now. It's been a really busy start to the year and I think that makes time go by so much quicker. We've got so much on our plate, we've got many to-do lists which be, you know, family, friends, business, all sorts of things. We can barely keep up anyway. I I mean, I will I feel like I'm always struggling to keep up and always chasing my tail, but I am tentatively taking steps to get more organized in my writing business by acknowledging my processes and that be my writing process, my podcast process, uh, all the different processes that make up my author business and what I need to create for this to work for me. So yeah, I'm acknowledging my roadblocks and creating plans to be more efficient and more organised and I will share more on that in the future. If you're in the same boat as me, you might find the information useful as a working mother, someone who's trying to build a business as well as be a wife and all the other things, a million other things that goes on. So in this last fortnight since the last episode, I have thought about it's good to get out of your comfort zones. And that for many of us is our writing circles and we usually go to author events and writing events and things like that. But what I found this last fortnight is that it's good to go to other events, other business events that are not necessarily for authors, but more for businesses in general, because there's a lot to learn. And uh, I am on the newsletter of a couple of different business associations just locally to where I live. And I happened to see an event that was coming up, which I attended last Friday, which was the 11th of Feb. And it was a small business women's luncheon. And um, the cost was about $35. And you got lunch and a drink. And it was held at Hillary's Boat Harbour, which for those who don't reside in Perth, it was at the Breakwater, which is a pub there. And I mean, it was a lovely setting, obviously, with the boats and Hillary's Marina. It's got lots of restaurants and shops and there's a beach there and it's got a real holiday vibe. It's got an aquarium and apartments. And it's also the marina where the ferry to go across to Rottnest Island, which is an island off the coast of Perth, 30 minutes away. That's touched upon in this episode. So that's where the lunch was. So it was a really lovely setting. There was about between 30 and 40 women there. And yeah, it was just a really good networking event as well to speak to other business owners and especially other women because that topic was about the, they shared the number one reason why women in business why does their business fail and it's not it's not all what you think it would be it's about health it's about us as women or in general people in general keeping up with our own health and our own well-being so that was quite interesting and I got a lot of I got some business cards and I saw 
potential for making contacts with other people, also local services, which I do like to promote local. And uh, yeah, I ended up winning a big Valentine's Day basket type thing and it had a teddy and it had chocolates and chocolate monopoly. And um, so that was a nice touch and the lunch was very nice. Basically what they gave away while they were there, there's a Pink Owls consultancy, which is a, a local business firm here, they work with the, our local government to provide consultant business consultancy services to small businesses. And for that lunch, they were giving away free codes for a certain amount of people, first in, first served, for seven hours free business consultancy. So I was just wrapped. I signed up for that immediately. And I had my first one-on-one -on -one with the, my lovely business consultant, Kate, yesterday. And it was just incredible. Like we, we spoke, I've, I've, I've never really done anything like that before. I consulted someone on business. I've kind of just gone out there on my own and uh, with the freelance writing business I set up after uni and just, you know, learned on the go. But I feel like someone who hasn't had a formal business education, I felt like I must be missing something here. Like, But anyway, yeah, just even to talk to somebody and get clear on what your business goals are and what you feel are your strengths and your weaknesses was, was so helpful. It was just incredible. And we have set up in the next month, in the month of March, what could I do that is most important to my business now? For every, anyone who's a regular listener of the podcast knows that I am an aspiring hybrid author, so I want to traditionally publish my children's and young adult fiction, and I independently publish my non short non-fiction books, freelance writing, quick tips for fast success, and author fears and how to overcome them. Now, I haven't done much promotion with those two books, the non-fiction ones, because at the moment, they're only in ebook format, and I've kind of been floundering around wanting to get them in ebook, print and audio before I start promoting them. And because of my hybrid author aspirations, I've kind of been jumping from my children's fiction to the non-fiction and really just been flailing. So this was good to be able to say, okay, no, for the month of March, I'm going to focus on getting these, you know, those three formats done for each of those books and getting them on the online stores where I want to sell them by the 31st of March. And it's just amazing because I know that I, the way I work best, which is uh, being accountable to someone. Now I know I have this meeting set up with Kate at the 31st of March. I have to have this goal done, but I'm really excited to get it done. Like it just feels so clear now. And yeah, it was just amazing. So I highly recommend consulting your local business associations to hook up with other business like-minded professionals and individuals outside of the author sphere and also yeah even just business consultancy itself talking to somebody about your business goals can just even make them clear in your head if like me you're trying to probably do it all and doing too much just to get clear on what priorities to do and choose one thing in that one time frame and focus on getting that done and then move on to the next rather than jumping all over the place. Of course, if jumping all over the place works for you, that's great, but I'm finding it's just making me look really busy, but not achieving much in my mind. So if you found any of the Hybrid Author podcast episodes useful, you can now buy me a coffee and pay it forward over at www.buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author and I think it's just a couple of bucks to show your appreciation for me putting in the time and creating what is dubbed as a great writing resource.
So in today's episode, we have an interview with the divine duo Dennis Knight and Christy Byrne, and they share their collaborative process on writing middle grade fantasy fiction for their trilogy Wednesday Week. They also touch on the publishing process and about having agency representation and providing soothing insights to authors looking to have a traditional author career. So that's all coming up in this episode. Dennis is a computer programmer who grew up geeking out about the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams. He graduated from high school in the same year as Marty McFly and he is still waiting to receive his first hoverboard. He lives in Western Australia with his wife, his robot vacuum cleaner and his extensive collection of the X-Files DVDs. Christy Byrne is a children's author and science writer. She is passionate about empowering our next generation of creative, science-savvy citizens. Christy has worked as a science communicator for 20 years across seven countries, and she's also performed in a science circus and worked as a garbage analyst. Christy is an inspiring presenter, entirely known for her skills in the kitchen, but can generally be found always working hard on her next book. Fantastic bio, guys. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. Thanks, Joanne. I just, I just have to amend that I'm unknown for my skills in the kitchen. I am completely <laughs> unknown. I have no skills. Is that, is, isn't that what I said? <laughs> I thought that's what I said. <laughs> oh. I'm like infamous for my lack of skills in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, I, I'm infamous anyway. for making a mess. <laughs> but yeah. Well, welcome. So how is it you both got into writing and how did you first come to meet each other and become friends? You are friends. <laughs> yes, no, we, we, are, are friends. we are still friends. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Joanne, it may shock and surprise you to learn that as a child, I was a bit of a nerd. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up watching Star Wars and playing Space Invaders. My dad read The Hobbit to my brother and me as a bedtime story. As a teenager, I was super into reading fantasy and science fiction. So I always dreamed of one day being a published sci-fi or fantasy author. And I guess as I went on to pursue a career as a computer programmer, that dream kind of stayed with me in the back of my mind. And probably about 10 years ago, when my kids were in primary school, I just kind of got inspired to pull the dream out of the of the drawer, dust it off a bit and give it a go. Wonderful. What about yourself, Christy? Uh, yeah, uh, similar kind of thing to Dennis, and I guess that's how we met because we both joined this awesome society, which you were also a member of, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and that's just like this incredibly supportive bunch of writers, illustrators, creators, educators, and we all get together and like share ideas and swap manuscripts, and uh, so Dennis and I had started doing that uh, like two or three years before we came up with this idea of, of collaborating. And, yeah, it was just really fun because I had a few books under my belt. I really loved the way that Dennis wrote and I really loved his manuscripts. It was so much fun to work with him. And I liked the way, like, the critique that he gave as well. You know, like when you give your, your baby your manuscript to someone, you've got to trust their judgment and you've got to trust what they say. 
and I really liked what he was saying. Like, it wasn't just, oh, that's really good. <laughs> it's really good, like your mum says, you know, oh, that's really good. Um, yeah, he could. He, he had a good eye and a good ear. Yeah, and so one day after a meeting, he was like, hey, we should work on something together. And I was like, sure. <laughs> because people always say that, right? They're always like, oh, we should do this, we should do that. But, yeah, that's another thing I really like about working with Dennis is that when he says he's going to do something, it happens. Yeah. And that's really cool as well. Fantastic. So Wednesday Weeks, fabulous trilogy in the in the making as well. Um, so whose idea was it to write middle grade fantasy fiction? And uh, can you tell us a bit about the Wednesday Weeks trilogy? So as Christy said, we, we decided that we wanted to collaborate, but we but we didn't know what we wanted to write. We just knew that we wanted to be a smash hit best-selling series. So. <laughs> I was number so, one on the list. <laughs> and I, I was I was going through the notes and folders and things, and that was back in November, let's say, 2017. So that wow. <laughs> November 2017, we, we started tossing ideas around, and we did that for about two months, and we when we had nothing, and we knew, but we knew we wanted to start writing in February. That was 2018, because I think Christy had a had a month off or something. We had some time, so we just said, ah. Oh, Screw it. We're each going to come up with an idea and we're going to write two books at the same time and we're going to alternate chapters and, and just swap chapters every, was it twice a week? Can't remember. Yeah. Well, I think it was like every two days or some crap. Or was that just what we do now? Wow. Yeah, three times. I can't remember what we did originally. No, that sounds right. Yeah. Like, but we were crippled. We were crippled because we, we decided we wanted this bestseller, right? We decided we wanted to write the perfect book and so we wrote nothing. And I think a lot of people do that, right? Like when I started out, I had the best first page, like the, the most sizzling start and, and never wrote beyond page two because it wasn't perfect. And by writing two books simultaneously on a crazy deadline, it can't be perfect. So you free yourself to be creative instead and you free yourself to play and have fun. And that's what writing should be, right? It shouldn't be this major procrastination battle. It should be like, can't wait to, oh, definitely, to get it. definitely, and I think having that other person knowing that they're waiting that would kick me into gear. I've noticed that's definitely how I work as well. Mm. So, but that is quite strict—two days to, you know. That, <laughs> did you feel quite stressed by that, or was it just quite a fun process from beginning? To, you just, like you said, you just enjoyed it and had a bit of fun with it, and it wasn't. No, I didn't. It was, it was, a, it was a, it was a challenge for me. It was a stretch, but it wasn't stressful because it, no. like, it was, it was just fun, and yeah. we were only. We were only aiming for about what twelve or fifteen thousand words, Christy. I think. Oh, sure. Yeah, for the whole manuscript. So it wasn't middle yeah. grade. We didn't set out to write middle grade. We started with junior fiction because junior fiction needs less plotting, right? So because you're writing together, you kind of have to know what's going to happen so that you can plant seeds and all that. But with junior fiction, it's so short that there's fewer B plots. So we just cut it. We just were like, okay, you write chapter one. And I'll just read it and then I'll just jam. Like I'll just like make up chapter two and then you read that and then you just, whatever pops into your head, that's chapter three. Because you kind of know the structure, right? Like yeah. there's, there's a character that wants something, they can't get it, they try and get it, they can't get it, they try again, there's a climax and everyone lives happily ever after. Or they all die. <laughs> and, and that was <laughs> that was the, you know, like you kind of know if you're writing chapter seven that that's a climax. So we had this gut feeling for how it should go, but we had no plan. And that was so much fun. Because you wake up in the morning and there's an email from Dennis and the characters have done something totally off the wall that you would never have predicted. And you have to write the next chapter. Yeah. It was so much fun. 
that's really yeah. cool yeah so did you obviously saying about the word count and stuff how short or long were the chapters did you stick to a certain amount per word count each time or yeah. I, I did i did Joe. i stuck to the word count <laughs> dennis did you stick to the word count <laughs> i don't i don't remember <laughs> no, no comment <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, so as Christy said, we originally were planning to do junior fiction, but it just didn't seem to, for me, certainly, it was, I guess, the, the concepts, the voice and stuff were just a bit older and a bit more complicated. So that's kind of where we ended up sort of, I guess, eventually realizing that it wasn't a junior fiction book that we had on our hands. It was, it was more, more for a slightly older audience. Yeah. It was about like the 31st of January or something. And we knew we wanted to get started writing like the 1st of February. We had nothing. So we just, we each just pitched an idea. We wrote a pitch and sent it to each other and wrote the first chapter and took it from there. So if you would like to hear the pitch for Wednesday weeks, which. Yeah, I'd love which has, that. It actually more or less ended up on the, on the back cover of the book as it was originally conceived. In a world of magic, can science save the day? Wednesday weeks never wanted to be a sorcerer's apprentice. She'd rather study science than magic. But when her cloak-wearing, staff-wielding grandpa is captured by a power-hungry goblin king, Wednesday must find a way to embrace her magical heritage and rescue him from the dreaded Tower of Shadow. Ooh, that's amazing. You have, say it, <laughs> you have to say it like that. Oh, Tower that's... of Shadow. <laughs> Do you get the kids to say that as well? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they love it. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's amazing. So when you, you realized you're obviously writing the middle grade and it was for an older audience, and did you make that longer then? Or did you just pitch it to the publisher and they said, give us longer? Or No, it was about a nearly two years before it actually ended up with the publisher, maybe two, well, 18 months, something like that. After we had the first draft, or we had the first chapter critiqued by a very nice uh, publisher at the Squibby Rotnest Retreat, and that was in June 2018, according to my notes Ooh, wow. here. Wow! <laughs> For any aspiring authors who live in Australia or or anywhere in the world, I guess one of my top tips, if you're interested in writing uh, children's books or young adult, would be definitely to join your local chapter of Squibby, which is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. One of the great things they do here in Western Australia is they have an annual retreat on Rottnest Island, which is a fabulous sort of holiday resort island off the coast. And they get guest publishers to come join the retreat. That means the members who are there have the opportunity to have their work reviewed and critiqued by professionals in the industry. And we had that done for the first chapter of Wednesday Weeks. We got some really good feedback. Um, it was encouraging, but we sort of realized that it, even the, the first chapter wasn't quite there. It didn't quite grab hold of the way it needed to. So we took that feedback and we kind of did a bit of tinkering around, but I think we were both working on other projects. By the time the next retreat came around a year later, we had revamped that opening and we had it critiqued by a different publisher and got some very, and sort of the, the, the feedback that time around was, oh, it's there, it's ready. Sort of, it really, it really grabbed them. Um, the pitch that I just read out to you won the Rottnest Retreat Pitch Award that year. Oh, wonderful. Um, <laughs> and so that kind of inspired us to really get cracking on the manuscript again. We wrote, we, we kind of extended it from, I can't remember, Christy, it was maybe from about 20,000 to about 40,000 words, something like that. Revamped the middle section, extended it. And once that was done, then it was uh, ready for, for the agent to, to pitch to the publishers. Fantastic. 
So the books are published by Lothian Children's Books. Can you tell us how this came to be and what your experience publishing with this publisher has been like? So after we worked on the manuscript for a while, at the time we both were represented by the same agent and the agent pitched it out to I think a dozen publishers. And then we basically had this like dream come true situation of a bidding war, Joe. Oh, we were like, wonderful. a bidding war? <laughs> oh my God. That's so <laughs> like, exciting. You know, I know. It's, and I'd heard people like, talk about this. No, there was, there were, there were, people were throwing things. They were like scratching with their nails. There were multiple emails. <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, and, and because this is Dennis's sort of debut novel, no, I think he thought it was normal. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, wow. So, and, and I think if you're trying to get published, it really illustrates a point. So of these dozen publishers, we didn't hear from some of them, which is what usually happens. Yeah. We got rejected by some of them, and they said, this is a lovely, you know, lovely manuscript, but it's not for our list, which is also what usually happens. And now I really understand, oh, my God, it's true. Like, it's real. They like it, it's just not for their list. It's not right for this time, it's not right for, for that publisher, but it's a great book. Yeah. So I think when you get that feedback, and everybody gets that feedback like multiple, multiple times, I still get that feedback. You know, we're, I'm still getting rejected. When you get that feedback, it's, it doesn't mean you suck. It means that's not right for our list. Because we then had four publishers come back and say, well, we love it, we love it so much, we want to do a multi-book deal. Um, and then we had this incredible situation where we did Zoom meetings with four different publishers, and they were wooing us. <laughs> they wanted us. They were pitching to us, and it was so surreal. And at the time I was living in New Zealand, we took term four off of 2019, and we moved to New Zealand. So every day I was like, walking along the beach with my husband going, this is happening, this is happening, oh, my God, this is happening, can you believe it, this is happening. And it just felt really surreal because we weren't at home, we weren't living an ordinary life, and this extraordinary thing was happening. Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. So we went with Hasha in the end because they sent us a video of their entire office uh, dressed in, like, slug costumes singing a slug song. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Expecting a fruit basket or like you know maybe a lollipop. <laughs> no, I think they all had like printed pink slugs, and they you got to reward creativity, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's dedication for you, right there. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! It was, it was such a good lesson, though. That um, just keep writing, you know, just keep. And the other book, you know, how we said we wrote two books. The other book got nowhere. Right. Same authors, same creative energy, different topic different reaction so it's all about right place right time and, a, and the right idea don't, don't give up it's not about talent it's just about perseverance and luck we had zoom calls with these four publishers and they and we had to decide which one to pick we were kind of trying to pick their brains about what they wanted what direction they saw the book going sort of seeing trying to trying to get an idea of what they would be like work with i think that was in all in all due deference to the to the video that Hashet sent us with the with the Pink slug signs. I think it was having a chat to the publisher and getting their ideas of what their sort of, I guess, editorial stance would be on the book was what pushed the decision over the line. That's the slug video. Yeah. Just to be clear. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. And one of the things that we like, we were like, it was fun to write. It has to be fun. It has to be fun. Like, if, if you're going to take this and it's going to end up being this horrible slog, we don't want it. Um, and it's ironic because it ended up being a horrible slog. So. <laughs> Well, if there's any publishers listening out there, Zell, there you go. <laughs> tips on how you can win, you know, three authors over. So, were you guys quite unanimous together then and saying, "Oh yeah, no, that sealed the deal. The slug was the winner." <laughs> yeah, they were all lovely. All, 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 yeah. the, all the people we talked to were lovely. We would have liked to have worked with all of them, and hopefully, at some point in the future, yeah. we will do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Like when you're a publisher and you've got a million manuscripts coming to you, you've got to choose, and they're they're all great, but you have to choose. And that was our situation. Definitely, we would have worked with any of them. They were all awesome, and they were all so creative and supportive and fun. But yeah, you can't publish everything, and you can't publish with everyone. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have published with Fremantle Press in the past, Christy. How has your experience with them gone up against her shit? Apart from a slug video. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been much different? I, or with the I adore working with Frio. So just, just to back it up, when I said it turned into a hard slog with Hachette, that's because it was a three-book deal. You know, they invested quite a lot of time and energy and money into that, and that meant they had a really strong vision for what they wanted, and that made book two really tricky because you know, Dennis and I are both like spreadsheet graph people, so I like to think of it like a like a, a dot graph. So we had book one, and that was strong, and that was brilliant. And we had to draw two more dots on that line, but we didn't really know where to draw the second dot. So trying to we wrote we rewrote that like four times that book. So that was hard. That was hard. Like you make it perfect, you send it in, and they go, "No, do it again." And you're like, "Okay," and then you do it again, and you're like, "Okay," and then you have to do it again. And I'm like, I remember being in a Zoom thing, going, "I don't know how to do this." Like I. I cannot, I'm in the woods, in the, in the trees, and I am so lost, and I don't know where to draw that dot. Like, I don't know how to pitch this. Um, and it was just a matter of just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Uh, listen to the editorial feedback, try and see what they want, try and work your way there. And even once we did it, even once we got that second dot position, there's a copy edit, and then, no, there's a structural edit. Sometimes we would have two structural edits, then a copy edit. And even the proof, like I'm, a, I'm used to the proofread being, oh, you missed a full stop. Even the proofread had like a billion comments about how to improve the manuscript. So that's way more Fulham than I'm used to. Um, so I published with like four publishers, I think. Yeah. And yeah, so by far that experience is the most intense. But that's also the, the biggest book that I've done. And also it's coming from two authors. So we had to make sure that the voice was right. And, the, you know, there were, there were more kinks to work out. Take it because um, it is a series, a trilogy, and it was, you know, and it could be more than that. You guys have plotted the whole thing before. No, oh no, because you were just doing the back and forth process. Do the publishers, do they have a say in the plot or how the story goes or changes? Or is it more about the scene should be here or we think this and obviously language and grammar? So when we pitched the first book, we had to come up with some ideas for subsequent books in the series so we could pitch it as a potential series. And we, so we kind of scribbled together some ideas for sequels. Kind of most of that got thrown out in the end, I think. We kind of kept the one or two concepts that we had originally for book two. But as Christy said, that one got rewritten and thrown away and rewritten again two or three times. <laughs> three or four um, times. <laughs> <laughs> Three or four hundred times. <laughs> and, Feels like it. But but it was never a case of the, the editors saying this is what needs to happen in the story. 
It was more, and eh, we think what you've written is really good, but maybe it's too complicated or not quite as lighthearted as we would like, pitched quite at the right age level. So it was more that kind of thing. Christy, I think, is that fair to say? Mm, yeah. What helped finally, what, what clicked for me finally, you know when you read a series and there's a the protagonist is the main character, not Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the blah, 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 that's kind of what, I'm going to say something really arrogant, that's kind of what we were writing. Yeah. <laughs> because those books go from being, you know, an inch thick to five inches thick and yes. we were going more and more epic and more and more amazing and really ramping it up into this huge world and they didn't want that. They wanted more like a character-driven thing where you pick up the book and you know what's going to happen. You know that you're going to be in that world with Wednesday weeks and Elfie's going to be cute and adorable and in love with maths and Gorgamoth is going to be stinky and he's going to crack bad jokes and the skull, we've got this like disembodied skull called Bruce who's really annoying but has a heart of gold except he doesn't have a heart because he's a skull. But you know what I mean? Like, like a formula. And I think they used that word and they were like, sorry to use the word formula, but formula <laughs> and, and it's nice right it's really when you pick up a book and you know it's going to be fantastic and you know what you're going to get and as a parent you know as well because it's all going to be within that same kind of mcdonald's burger you know yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're going to yeah. get you're going to get the same thing but it's going to be different but it's going to be the same and that's really a nice place to be and once i realized that then we could give them what then i felt like i could give them what they wanted then i had a better idea of how to shape it or whatever I don't know, did you feel the same, Dennis? Yeah, absolutely. I think, Christy, you're spot on about sort of not knowing where to draw the second dot. We thought we were being clever. We kind of wrote books two and three in the couple of months while we were waiting to actually sign the contract. So we accepted the offer in December just before Christmas, and the contract wasn't actually signed until March or something. And that was um, yeah, just before the first COVID lockdown. Yeah. Um, Cunningly spent a couple of months in there writing books two and three. So we thought, oh, that'll, that'll stand us in good stead because that'll take the pressure off, you know. We won't be having to write book two at the same time as editing book one. Uh, little did we know. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of material that's that's there that never that never saw the light of day and i think that's okay because definitely because you can reuse that free gifts for all the fans out there (laughs) (laughs) but it also helps because we like invented a bunch of characters that got killed but that helps in in the course like we wrote this incredible scene with uh james bond yeah yeah deleted yeah we didn't kill anybody Oh, yeah. <laughs> <A lot. laughs> yeah, and it was awesome. It was all set in the realm of dragons. And it was this awesome, like, resort island and this cool character who was like James Bond. Oh, I love and that all of that got deleted. <laughs> I love that guy. That helped us, informed us as to what goes on in the realm of dragons. So it's all yeah. like, just yeah, helps relevant. with the world building. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, oh, fantastic. That could be a spin off series. You never know. It might yeah. come in handy. It might appear in another book somewhere else down the track. You never know. Yeah, um, that so- character deserves it. I reckon he could totally have his own trilogy. <laughs> you seem to both love him. So, yeah. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you think, um, obviously, the publishing process is, is not easy, but did it help having the literary agency behind you? The, so Dennis, you're with Jacinta Damasi and they were the ones that obviously the bidding war happened. How would it have, would it have been a harder process if you didn't have a literary agency behind you? Yeah. So Danielle and Jacinta from JDM are my agents. They're fantastic. 
from my point of view, having an agent definitely takes a lot of the pain out of the process of submitting publishers. It's quite a different process. When the when our agent submitted Wednesday Weeks, it was what they called a wide submission. So basically, they submitted the manuscript to all publishers of Australian children's fiction simultaneously. And they said, here's, here's the book. This is why we think you should buy it. Please get back to us within one month, mm-hmm. which is... I mean, for which is which is a real luxury to be able to say that from the point of view of an author, where, where you would typically send off a manuscript to a publisher, and then you would be kind of I don't know checking your inbox every day for a year before you finally gave up and said, "Well, I guess they're not going to reply." That's right. So, yeah. so from that from the point of view of pitching, you, it gives you access to the publishers and it gets you their attention, and you're guaranteed of a response which is the plus side especially if the response is positive it can also be it can also be a double edged sword because i've also been through the same process via an agent with another book and the response was unanimously no so <laughs> it condenses that kind of crushing pain of multiple rejections that you would normally get spread out over say 2 years it kind of condenses it all into one kind oh, of crushing blow gosh. so <laughs> There's so much crushing in this industry. I never thought of it that way. That's, yeah, I can actually feel that. The submission process, having an agent is really gets you that, gets you that access to the publishers. And also during the contract negotiation, having an agent to take care of that for you is a, it's a real lifesaver because there's just so many little ins and outs in the contract. First of all, might not occur to you as as a newbie sort of author that the agent will be on top of and they'll be able to sort of negotiate that stuff. And second of all, the agent is coming from a position of a lot more power in, in the negotiations compared to what an individual author would be coming from. And they're able to say, well, um, the last book that I sold, that our agency sold you, we had this, 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 and this conditions in our contract. So that's we expect that's going to be our starting point for the negotiations of this contract. Whereas as a, if you were negotiating that as an individual author, um, half of those things wouldn't even occur to you. And if they did occur to you, you'd say, oh, excuse me, would you mind changing this bit? And they'd probably just say, nah, nah, yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so for, for the pitching, for the contract negotiations, having an agent is wonderful. For, for new authors just starting out, it's definitely, I would definitely say that having an agent is by no means a prerequisite to being published, especially in Australia. I think maybe in America it's a bit more prerequisite where you would try and get an agent first because a lot of publishers would would only be accepting submissions from agents. But um, in Australia, I think it's a bit more the other way around. Most most new authors would get their first contract directly and maybe then get an, an agent afterwards. In my own case, sort of like that, um, I had another science fiction series that I'd pitched to some publishers and one of them was interested in it that one got to the the, what they call the acquisition stage which is when the editor publisher at the publishing house would like to buy it and they have to convince all the or everyone else at the publishing house all the the money people and the marketing people and all those people they have to convince them that the company should buy it so the series had got up to that stage and it was at that stage that I was able to you know, approach some agents and say, I've got this book that's at acquisition stage. Would you like to represent me? And so that's how I ended up gaining representation from JDM management. As I said, that was the, that was the one that, that ended up not getting picked up. Yet. And, <laughs> and with the crushing and all that that subsequently happened. But the good thing, the good thing that came out of that crushing experience was that I had an agent. And so then that, that was. I guess indirectly led to the success with Wednesday Weeks. 
That's fantastic. I, I guess having an agent, you kind of just look at it like having an industry professional in your corner, you know, kind of giving word of mouth, putting you forward, which I've found in Australia, not just in the writing industry or anything. So it's, it is a lot of who you know here, I've found. So, and even just not so much just the writing, just, just with anything, you can get a sort of foot in the door. So no, so pro agent, that sounds quite good. But yeah, I have um, heard of other authors as well I think like Holden Shepherd his obviously he won his his uh, first book Invisible Boys and that was that the stellar um through a competition and then yeah he's now been picked up because of the success of that um with an agent so. it was with Freeman or Chris that one um, yeah yeah his first book yeah. yeah so just circling back to that because I think um, I didn't answer that question they are um, amazing um they're such a fantastic friendly professional publisher and you don't need an agent to submit to them, but you do need to be from Western Australia. Yeah. So if you are from WA, they're just super. Because a lot of the publishers will only read the first page and then go, nah, it sucks. But they will read the whole thing and, and look at the idea as a whole and you as a writer, as an author, and, and work with you to develop it. So, yeah, I totally recommend it. Yeah, fantastic. So with the Wednesday week, so we'll backtrack a bit, how have you both gone about promoting the books and has the events linked to the promotion been organised by you or the publisher or both? You know, with the book launch, is that something you guys put together or is that something your publisher does? Or, and have you kind of split off to do different promotions of the work? We we have been lucky enough with Wednesday weeks to have the luxury of having a lovely publicist from Hachette um, on board. And she has teed up a bunch of um, publicity events, including the the book launch at more and more bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> Paper Bird Bookshop. Oh yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. So we've done social media videos launches. We've done bookshop and school visits, uh, interviews with newspapers, radio, and podcasts. Done some festival appearances uh, with more to come and. A lot of those have been teed up for us by the publicist from the publishing house, but but not all. And Christy, as as per her amazing intro, has does a lot of school visits and is very busy doing education and uh, book related stuff. She's got a nice banner, Wednesday week's banner, which she which she <laughs> pops up at those. <laughs> Are you going to do much school talks, Dennis? Have you been into the school yet? Done one or two so far. Hopefully, there'll be more. By oh, the last two years, with writing and editing these three books for. Hachette, plus the day job, of course. Yep. <laughs> um, has, have been just, yeah, and the family. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of overlap between the three books. And so when we were launching book one, we were right in the middle of, of edits for book two. So there's been a lot of that. Now that we're, we're towards the end of the book reprocess, where that's, that's easing off a little bit because, because we're yep. not overlapping with the first two anymore. Wow. So did the, the publicist, does she tell you, um, did they approach you and tell you up front, uh, yeah, we want to get you here and we're going to do this and we want you to do this. And is it up to you guys whether you say, yeah, or do you have an option to be like, well, actually, no. <laughs> why would you say no? But Oh, yeah, theoretically, I yeah. guess. But, yeah, as you say, well, why, why would you say no? Some people might be a bit shy, I suppose, like if they didn't feel comfortable doing some stuff. But, but does that get presented to you or you've just got a schedule of works? They say you get a choice of how much you or how little you want to do. Very early on, we wrote to them, and I think my exact words were, if you want us to wrestle crocodiles or abseil down buildings, we will do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, they do they do, do a lot of work, the publicist, and um, most, I mean, all the, all the publishers I work with have a publicist, and they will get you gigs and interviews, but they are in charge of multiple books. You're in charge of your book, 
So, you know, Dennis said that they helped organise the launch at Paper Bird, but they didn't organise the food or the activities or the speech or who would so so you have to do a lot of the you know, it's a team. Yeah. It's not like you're suddenly a princess and you've got a team of people to peel your grapes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, Darn. so you, Yeah. But the harder you work, the harder they'll work for you. So for example with Frio Press, if you want to write a, a blog post for them, they'll help you with that and publicize that for you. And it's the same, like if you want to get a an interview, like I mean this didn't go through our publicist. You know, so so that's you reaching out and that's us going, Yeah, cool, we know you, we'd love to chat. So there is a lot of that stuff that you do yourself. And also, yeah, I'm a massive media hog and uh, I'm happiest on the stage. So I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. And Dennis will do it too. Yeah. Won't you Dennis? <laughs> and I went like later and and <laughs> Dennis loves it. Dennis is like, yeah, let's get smoke machines and I'm going to build this and look what I did. Yes, I've heard the voices. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. They did push you though. So once they were like, oh yeah, we want you to do some videos and then they sent us a schedule and they're like, we want you to film these eight different videos. So we bought eight different outfits and we, we filmed eight videos in the course of one day and it was utterly exhausting. Oh, wow. But, you know, they I work best with a deadline and I work best with pressure as well. And um, yeah, sometimes you need that nudge, right, to go the extra mile. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's good to hear because I've heard in the past from publishers, sometimes there's not a lot of budget left over for marketing and obviously not for the bigger publishers. But So it's good to hear that there are people that are still out there taking care of authors and, and you know, helping them to promote their work. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll ask, what are your tips for writers that are looking to team up like you guys and co-create a book together? You know, do you feel you have to know the person or, yeah, what are your tips there? Dennis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the main, my main tip would be don't uh. take it too seriously. Try and have fun, especially at the beginning. I mean, obviously, once things get real and you're sort of getting into the multiple edits and stuff, you have to take things seriously. But hopefully, it can still be fun. That was the best part of collaboration was just I don't know, trying to just having fun and making each other laugh with, yeah. with what yeah. we were creating. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. So, Joe, I think you said, do you have to know each other, be yeah. friends, whatever? I think yeah. um, it's important, I think, that have a feeling that, that you're going to be, that your writing style is going to be compatible, that, that you can write in the same voice, because especially, especially with our, in our case where we were, some collaborators, when they team up, they have two point of view characters and each author is writing a different one. So that, that helps then each author can maintain their own voice. But because we were sharing the one point of view character, we had to end up with the, with the voice being consistent across the chapters. And like Christy said, we, we had already, we were already familiar with each other's work. We shared a similar sensibility for certain types of stories. So I think we, we kind of had, had some confidence going in that, that we could, that we could make it work and, and write stuff that was compatible. Yeah. And I think, um, Amy Kaufman, I think, has said this too because, you know, she does a lot of collaboration and she said, remember why you chose this person in the first place. Remember why it was that you thought this would be a good idea because you respect their work and you respect their talent and you like working with them. And that's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a marriage, right, because there are hard times and there are great times and if you just go, no, that sucks, I, don't, I disagree with what you put that full stop, that's all off. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that, right? Like, it's it's a it's a long road, it's a big journey, and the 
product is so much better when you work with somebody else. It's the same with an editor. Like they, they keep sticking their nose into your baby, but it makes the baby better. So you just have to remember that you respect them. And yeah, I think that makes it work really well. And, and the product, like even rewriting book two, the final thing is great. It's terrific. It's awesome. Like every time we rewrite it, it gets better and better and better. I just never want to rewrite it again. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Oh, gosh. Well, we've spoke about the best times. Let's hear about some of those hard times. What would you say is was some of the hard times of co-writing? Was there any? Or As you said, you're still friends. No, 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 it was just wonderful. It was just like we just skipped around all the time and like <laughs> smelled roses. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. But the nice thing is, you know, when you're writing a book and you get to the middle and you've got no idea what to write next, that doesn't happen because you've got a friend who's there with you and you can go, oh, my God, I'm stuck, or what the hell's going to happen next? Have, is this Does this feel right to you? So that's all the usual hard times of being a solo artist are diluted. I think that's another thing Amy Kaufman says, that the, um, the hard times are still hard, but the good times are way, 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 way gooder. <laughs> And that's why you do it, don't you? If, I mean, if the yeah. hard, hard times outweighed the good times, you'd be like, oh, stop. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> what about yourself, Dennis? Anything, anything um, to add? Yeah, well, our friend uh, Rebecca from Alphabet Soup described it as writing a book with two brains, which is, a, <laughs> which is an expression that I really like. And it kind of encapsulates not only the sort of 1950s horror, schlock horror movie kind of concept, <laughs> the man with two brains kind of yeah. idea but it also kind of encapsulates the best and the worst of the process because if you if you're if you've got two brains like christy said if, if if one brain kind of runs out of ideas or inspiration you can kind of toss it over and the other brain will come up with something yeah. amazing on the other hand with two authors plus an editor instead of a two-way process of the editor saying well you need we think this bit could be improved and then the author says okay here i go I'm, i have an idea to improve it done here you go now it's like you got it's more of a triangle situation and you've got the two brains both trying to figure out how to improve this thing it's obviously not always going to agree on the best the best way forward so but as christy said once the end product is a lot better because i mean so the, the way I see the editorial process, the editor is sending you all these super annoying comments, <laughs> sticking, sticking their beak into your, into your amazing work and saying, eh. But what they're really saying is this could be better. You could improve this. Yeah. And the reason why as, as writers, we, we kind of react that way and say, why, why is she sticking her beak into my work? The reason we react that way is because improving it is hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But. It's an opportunity, and if you can get past that feeling and and make it happen, then it does improve somehow. <laughs> having having two authors involved in that process makes it improve even more. Yeah, I guess it's yeah. that old age saying, isn't it? Two brains are better than one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, well, I have to ask as well. So the the books are bidding war, which is amazing. Did you ever both think, and this being the hybrid author podcast, that hang on, you know, this person wants it, this person wants it, we're onto something here. Uh, did you ever consider independently push- publishing? Or have you ever, both of you ever considered independently publishing any of your work? Has it always just been the traditional path you've you've sought? No, I have traditionally and then self-published. Um, my first books, I got a trilogy when I was living in the uh, and we got book one and that was wildly successful and it was selected by the book trust for this like massive 
promotion across all of the country and then book two and then book three and they contracted a book four and I wrote the book four and we were just, you know, it was all through editorial, we're getting covers and they were like, oh, sorry, we've been bought out by this big international company, we're cancelling all of our middle grade contracts. So that book was ready and I'd written it and I had a huge, huge, massive, massive wave of a huge amount of fans like well, shouting my name. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know, if I self-publish this, I'm going to be incredibly rich because everybody's already reading the first three and we've sold tens of thousands of them. Um, so even if just 10% of those wanted, oh, my God, I'm going to buy a house in Hawaii. <laughs> and so I self-published it and I think I sold a copy to my mother, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I learned from that even when you're established, even when you've got the franchise and it's operating already, it's still really hard if you don't have the marketing. Yep. And, and I kind of had some of that marketing as well already, you know, because it was already out there in the world. Uh, and I'm just, I'm not lazy. I'm a hard worker, but I want to do what I want to do. And I want to write and I want to be on the stage talking to kids and inspiring them to create stuff. I don't want to be marketing my own books. That's, that's you know, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. I you know, like I'm just—it's not me. I don't feel comfy doing that. Yeah. I'd much rather use the books as a vehicle for getting into schools and talking about creating and making and doing and engaging and being a citizen of the planet. So yeah. I, I never have. Mm, fantastic. What about yourself, Dan? Yeah, um, I I was on I was on the verge of self-publishing the sci-fi series that I mentioned before, and that was I'd had commissioned covers, done the layout of the first book, and I had actually got to the stage. I had what do you call it? The proof from Amazon oh, yep. done. So it was all just about ready to, you know, push the button. And that's when the publisher who I'd submitted it to 12 months plus prior kind of got back to me and said, oh, hey, that book you sent to me a year ago, is that you still, is it still available? Because we might be interested in that. And so, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I never actually ended up putting that one for sale on Amazon, but nearly did. So it's yeah, definitely something. Yeah. The process, the process of self-publishing is not intimidating to me. It seems fairly straightforward, you know, getting getting covers done, doing the layout and all that stuff. As Christy said, I guess the trick is actually selling any of them. <laughs> and I think also for me, I, I said before that sort of being being a published author um, was that sort of little childhood dream that I had sort of from from many from from many decades ago. And it just kind of part of it was being I guess what you would now say traditionally published. I mean, that was that was the only kind of published back existed back then. I guess apart from guess, vanity publication. But yeah, so that's kind of for me. That was always definitely was one of the goals was was to get traditionally published, not to rule out self publishing perhaps in the future. Hmm. Publishers will only take books that will sell because they're a business. Yeah. So if you've got a book that you're passionate about and it's an important book and it's a it's a great story, but it just isn't that right place right time that's perfect for our list category definitely you know self-publish it because just because it doesn't make sense for a big publisher doesn't mean it doesn't make sense for you um so if you've got that mass and that like i know people who've done extremely well with self-publishing and that you know that they're going great guns and they love it i just am so rubbish at that side of it like the marketing and the selling i just i just don't want to do it it's like cleaning my bedroom (laughs) you know i don't want to do that yeah. So that's why I'm not suited to it, I don't think. But some people are, and, like, you can have a fantastic career and do really, really well with it if you've got, if your personality is like, yes. you know, if you're, if you're good at it. 
just not, you know, I'm not good at cooking and I'm not good at, <laughs> at self-marketing or whatever. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, oh, what, yes. Sorry, just, just before we, just before we move on to the next topic, I just wanted to, I just wanted to jump in because I feel like we've, we've kind of been grumbling and whining a bit about our editors and our publishers, oh, about no, how they old. made us, how, they, how, they, how those cruel people made us rewrite the book and how the editors insisted that we should make it better over and over and over again. But I just, I just wanted to give a, give a shout out to the, oh, to the yeah. editorial team at Hachette that we've been working with. They have been absolutely amazing. Sensational. They're so smart. They're so clever. They've got such good vision. The books would not be, be anywhere near as good as they are without, without that input and without, without them cracking the whip and forcing us to keep working on it and making them better. Yeah, that's yeah. well. That's um, exactly it, isn't it? It's um, a team effort, as you said, and I think oh, I totally understand it. The hard slog is you guys have already, you guys before you even were introduced to that team have done a hard slog, and like you said, you're very close to the work, and then you know they want you to do this and do that, and that that makes it quite hard. But like you said, they, they've contributed to making the books what they are. So fantastic. Yeah. For, I guess for people listening who who might be new to the business, who, who don't sort of know what what the stages of editing book goes through after it gets purchased or after it gets picked up by a publisher there are just three main stages after we send in a, ma- a draft manuscript the the first main stage is a structural edit and that that's feedback from from the editor at the publishing house or in, in our case that's a lovely lady called Sophie mm-hmm. um she was super amazing she she's not going through the manuscript and sort of correcting the punctuation and stuff she is looking at it from the big picture story point of view and saying, well, maybe you seem to have three villains in this, in this manuscript. Maybe you should just, maybe you should just trim it back a bit and just have one, you know, our character arcs could be improved. Uh, this person seems to be a bit vague or, you know, or it might stuff like that. Or it might be, oh, this character, the, the skull seems to disappear from the book for six chapters in the middle. <laughs> Maybe he could do something from time to time. So we would get a report of that kind of high level stuff. And then we would go away and try and make some sort of major surgery on the Frankenstein manuscript, (laughs) kind of taking piece off, throw that away, bolt on a new piece, that kind of thing. So that's the structural edit. And then once, once all that's kind of settled down and it, and the story has achieved the kind of shape that everyone's happy with, then it goes to copy edit. Um, and we had an amazing copy editor. I think she's a freelance called Rebecca. She was just fantastic. And within the copy edit, they're, they're looking more closely at the text looking for anything that's confusing but again not not necessarily to the point of sort of full stops and that kind of thing but looking for opportunities to to make the story more coherent the, we would get the word document back with i don't know 800 comments or something in it <laughs> these are all suggestions like oh i wonder why this happened here and you're like oh because and you're like because that's that's what i wrote that's why it happened <laughs> And then you're like, oh, actually, I guess, I guess she's asking, she's, like I said, this is an opportunity to improve it. And you've got to kind of think about that comment and say, okay, well, yeah, okay. She's kind of got a point. So anyway, so we've talked probably enough about that, but so that's the second process. And we were, we were super lucky again to have an amazing copy editor. And then after that, all things going well, if we've done our job well, then, then it goes through to the book then goes to be uh, typeset. 
and we get a PDF of the typeset book back, and that's proofreading. So that then goes to a professional proofreader who goes through and looks for all those commas and full stops and stuff. And then we have the opportunity to do that as well. And then once that's all done, then that's when it goes to print. One of the best things for me about working with Hachette and being published by this amazing publishing company rather than, say, self-publishing, is the opportunity to go through that process and work with these amazing editors because it's just mm-hmm. been such an educational experience for me to learn mm-hmm. how or what kind of improvements can be made to a manuscript that you thought was kind of pretty good already. Yeah, yeah. Now that's it as well, where, you, you know, you're getting access to industry professionals that have been in this industry. They know what they're talking about for years and years and years. But that's great. Now that's wonderful, Dennis. Thanks so much for sharing that. So what can we both expect from you in 2022? Do you have any more plans to work on another series together in the future? Or is this it for now? actually delayed the release of book three so that's sort of they have aligned it for release with science week in august yeah so that kind of extends the commitment to the wednesday week's books for a little bit longer so we've only just well no we haven't we're still working on second copy edit for book three now so so that's still very that train is still yeah we're still on board <laughs> so that's taking up a lot of headspace at the moment. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, book three is called Wednesday Weeks and the Dungeon of Fire. Ooh. <laughs> still, I'm still working on I'm still working on the right the right way of saying that one. <laughs> that one. We got Wednesday Weeks and the Tower of Shadows. That's book one. <laughs> book two. Book two, of course, is Wednesday Weeks and the Crown of Destiny. And what? And Book besides, <laughs> Dungeon of Fire. Still working on that one. And besides working together, is there any other projects you're working on individually? I'm keen to keep writing for Freer Press because I just love working with them, and um, so I'm kind of working on a little ghost story Ooh. set in in an undisclosed WA location. Oh, wow. Secret for now. <laughs> Sounds great. What about yourself, Dennis? I don't have anything on the go at the moment, so I book three of Wednesday weeks is safely delivered to the publisher. I'll take a deep breath, see what what I've got sitting in the drawer, and <laughs> yeah, maybe we maybe dust off an old project or maybe do something new. I'm not not quite sure at this stage. Yeah, wonderful. Well, like you said, with all the what you've just been through and all the edits and the feedback and things, you'll be able to probably go p- back past work and see you know work that's been sitting there and see how you can. Rise it from the dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need someone else's eye, though. So it's just, but yeah, time is a really good thing. So if you have written something, stick it away. I'll stick it away for years and years sometimes and pull it out and go, oh, this has legs. I'll do it again. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Definitely agree. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dennis and Christy. That was amazing. Are you able to thank tell? You, <laughs> Thanks. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you both online and your work in store? Ah, uh, yep. Well, Wednesday weeks books are available wherever good books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> Most good, good local independent books bookstores should have it in in stock. If they don't have it in stock, they'll certainly be able to order it in for you. We we like to support our local bookshops so if you're interested um, get down to your local bookshop and if they don't have it on the shelf they'll be happy to order it in for you probably it's sold out they haven't. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, my i have a website at dennisknight.com and i'm on facebook at dennis knight author Wonderful. dennis with one n don't forget yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'm at christyburn.com which is spelled just horribly so just type in anything you want and keep trying <laughs> don't go to crustybum.com i was 
like to make sure people don't end up there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I want to thank your listeners too, because like you're part of the people, you're part of the movement to make and create and do and participate in the world. You're not just sitting around watching Netflix and um, oh, I do that too. That's something to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, but like you're making something. I mean, yeah. writing is so cool that you can take a bunch of scrolls on a page and create uh, something that makes somebody feel something and connect with something. So, hooray for all of us and all of you yeah. listening and your legends. Let's go, 2022. <laughs> Yeah, let's make something. Fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Joe. Talking. See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.